Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare here. Hello and welcome back to the Upper Quartile Podcast. I am your host, Jim Aiello, and I am joined by the Athletics Colts beat writer, James Boyd. James, it's, it's funny. Like I think we go into this season with the Colts, and we didn't expect a lot. And then when Anthony Richardson went down, we expected even less. And then they shocked us. They gave us a winning streak and, and hey, playoff hopes. And it was just it was just became... Something really interesting and fun to root for. And so you finally start to buy in a little bit. And then in Cincinnati, it was just, it was like, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. They didn't, they looked like the polar opposite of a playoff team. Like you watched the Giants on Monday night last night. They looked better than the Colts looked on, on, on Sunday. Just could not, they ran out of feet. I think I texted, they ran out of feet to shoot themselves in. They just, they kept, they, every time they had a chance to, to, to make a leap forward and take a lead and they got a break, they blew it. So the Colts are still in the playoff picture. They're still at the bottom of that bottom of the AFC, and we'll talk about all that. Um, but we'll talk about some of the problems that's going on with this team. But just start with that game, what it was like to be there, and what it was like to kind of see this collapse because this was very uncharacteristic of the Colts this year. That's definitely the word I would use, uncharacteristic. It did not feel like a Shane Steichen coach team because throughout this season, you really couldn't point to many instances where they were just completely undisciplined or sloppy or had bad mechanics, things like that. They just had so many weird self-inflicted wounds. And, you know, for a moment, I thought they were going to overcome them after the Ronnie Harrison Jr. pick six in the second quarter, which basically gave them 14 points in 25 seconds. They had scored a touchdown on Cox. Missed the extra point by Matt Gay, which, again, was alarming. That was his second miss of the day. And then they go out there and they get a pick six from Ronnie Harrison Jr., 36 yards. He returns it. They get a two-point conversion to Pittman in the back of the end zone. And you think 14-14 right before the half. Okay, they got all that out of their system. And then the second half started, and it was not good at all. So um, there were a couple of penalties where I was just like, this can't happen again. I don't think it will. They had the leverage penalty on Taven Bryan on the field goal attempt early in the first half, which negated a field goal by the Cincinnati Bengals and then gave them a chance to just keep their drive alive and score a touchdown. And you're wondering, like, of all the penalties you can get in that moment, how, why? Because that would have given them a 10-point lead instead of turned to a 14-0 lead. Um, they had the penalty at the end that became sort of like my window into how this game sort of can be summarized. Zach Moss scores on a 10-yard run and I went back and looked at it Jim a very questionable in my opinion holding call on Quentin Nelson I could not tell from the angle that I saw now I have to go back and look at um maybe a couple different all 22 angles but from the TV angle I was like where was the hold but nevertheless they were flagged for it and that just ended the momentum and then three plays later Gardner Minshew gets strip sacked or actually it was an interception 
Um, B BJ Hill, you know, shout out to him. He must do like yoga or something like that because he stretched <laughs> out for that thing and caught it. A play. But yeah, I mean, nine penalties. And you sent me the stat midway through the game, and I was like, oh, I have to use this. So the nine accepted penalties that the Colts had were the most that they've had in the game since that game last year in Minnesota when they blew the biggest lead in NFL history. Um, obviously, I was there for both, and it did feel sloppy, and it did feel sort of like that, where I was like, how can a team, you know, that has played so disciplined and really has sort of minimized the mistakes to give themselves a chance every week, it sort of, you know, flipped the other way. Now, I don't think this is an indictment of the Colts. I'm not saying that, oh, it's it's all over now. They're going to start losing games and out of the play. All of, I'm just saying that. Obviously, for them to go on this streak was incredible. You know, four wins in a row, first time since 2018. However, then you look at how they could have gotten to five. And maybe, you know, you're like, okay, they have to lose at some point. But just the way they lost, Jim, was not it, was not ideal. And I'll ask you this. Were you a bit surprised at, even despite all the penalties, just how easy Jake Browning's life was? back there in some sort of oasis, I felt like, when he was picking apart the Colts. Yeah, I mean, this Colts pass rush, man. All year it's been like, I feel like you and I, we talk about it, like it's not very good. And then all of a sudden they go on a run, and it's like, oh, man, they're getting five sacks a game. And then <laughs> you're like, okay, they're coming together. And then nothing. I mean, we, we you and I were laughing about it yesterday a little bit. We said three quarterback hits. I don't I don't remember that. I mean, they got him hurt like the first play of the game. And that was that's the last one I can really remember. But they they guess I got they got credit for three quarterback hits. So I guess give them credit for that. But no, you're right. Browning felt comfortable the whole game. Didn't have to worry about being pressured. Didn't have to be worried about getting sped up, which is what you got to do to young. I know he's not that young, but you have to do to you know inexperienced quarterbacks like Jake Browning. Speed him up, make him feel the pressure, make him try to get rid of the ball quickly. Um, and, and the Colts couldn't do that. Uh, I thought you were right about the Moss thing, and I'm glad you led with it. It was when I was, you know, as an editor, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to send exactly. We talk about the storyline, but I don't know exactly what, um, you know, what's going to be your, like, strongest anecdote. And I thought the Moss thing was the perfect thing because it really, I think, took the air out of the sails of the team. Like, I when he, went, when he like, kind of waltzed in for the touchdown, I mean, he, he was barely touched. He kind of skipped in. I was like, okay, Colts are back in this thing. Flag. You know, Minshew interception, kind of, quote unquote, like it just it just kind of all deteriorated from there. So I thought that was the game. And then the other thing you and I talked about, I think that was the most surprising was or not the most surprising. But this, the most revealing the things we've talked about is that this team just isn't good enough um, talent wise to overcome all those mistakes. There are teams in the NFL who can like the Bills sometimes, like, you know, if Josh Allen throws two interceptions or three interceptions, well, they're still maybe good enough to rally back. Or, you know, the Mahomes are, again, I'm using all the wrong teams at the moment. These are the teams that are struggling. But the typically elite teams uh, have have the ability to kind of rally back. This is not a team that can do that. That's not, you don't want to put this all on Gardner Minshew, the running game that doesn't exist, the defense that is going to have its ups and downs. Like the pass rush had been better, but it's still not great. You can't put this team in a hole and expect them to climb out of it. Um, and, and and that's kind of what happened. And they couldn't, even against the Bengals team that didn't have Joe Burrow. And Jake Browning was good, but it's just, this is not the kind of team the Colts are. That's not the kind of game script they can win with. Yeah, I, and you talk about, you know, not having room for all these errors. And I think that was what was reemphasized to me throughout this game was the margin for error is so slim slim to none with this team. So when they really go in the opposite direction, it feels insurmountable. And again, I thought that they got a break with the Ronnie Harrison Jr. pick six, which, 
you know, credit to him. He, the guy has been on the team for, what, a month, and he's got two picks already, and he's had some game-changing plays and continues to make those splash plays that they've, you know, used basically to to ride into this 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 season or into the second half of the season where they've played some really good football. But, okay, I'm thinking to myself, you got a break there. And that was an incredible play, by the way, when I went back and watched the interception. He basically took it off of the tight end's hands. And, I mean, it, there was like a split second there where the Cincinnati tight end just didn't even realize that the ball had been picked off because he just like snatched it out of his hand and ran the other way. And so in my mind, I'm like, again, you're right there. Okay, this team is super resilient. And then you get outscored 20 to zero in the second half. And part of that was because you couldn't get out of your own way. And so um, for a split second there, I was like, okay, you, Zach Moss gets a touchdown here. You cut it to 10 points with about 10 minutes left in the game. You know, who knows what could happen, right? You get a stop, you get a score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, you have a one-score game. But they never got that opportunity because – they were sort of like the bad news bears in a sense. And I remember asking Shane Steichen after the game, you know, what can you attribute these penalties to sort of these uncharacteristic sloppy play to? And he said, he wished he had a, you know, a great answer for me, which is fine. Like I'm not going to, you know, hold his feet to the fire and demand answers and all that stuff after they had just one of four out of five. But in my mind, I'm like, you got to find an answer quick. My friend, he said he had to watch the tape about eight times um which is like that's like a get out of jail free card for uh every uh coach ever i gotta watch the tape i gotta watch the tape and i'm like okay i understand that but you also if anybody in this stadium has to watch what happened in this game and know what happens in this game it's you and zach taylor like you two like you're you're the coaches and so um sometimes it can be frustrating when you ask a question like hey what happened on this i gotta watch the tape but it's fair and even after his uh his uh, watching the tape, his assessment yesterday, Shane was um, very open about just how his team cannot play like that, can't shoot themselves in the foot like that. And then you saw some of the frustration in the locker room, um, particularly when I waited for Zach Moss. He was uh, pretty upset. And this is a guy who was very reserved, um, very well-spoken, and you could tell he was choosing his words um, you know, carefully. And it wasn't because he wanted to lash out at his teammates. I think he was just, la he was just like mad at their entire product like he didn't well, he wasn't pointing the finger at anybody but he also was saying and he said it he was like we can't do expletive that is going to hurt us um and it's true it's just you, you that's not a recipe for winning at all and he and then i think i also had a quote in there where i think that was the quote best quote i got from the locker room you know he was like yeah we we got whooped and we didn't help the beating and so that was what summarized that game like they got outplayed by the Bengals, but they also got outplayed because of they, their own, um, you know, instances where it feels like that loss felt like one where you didn't just you weren't in a dog fight and the better team kind of edged you out. You felt like you gave away some a few opportunities to obviously play better, keep points off the board for them, and then put points on the board for yourself. So um, I could not have imagined in the second half that they would not score a single point and just look that overwhelmed and overmatched against again a Bengals team that's sort of like looking in the mirror I wrote that um you know when I did the QB list they're fighting and scrapping too and they were the more disciplined team and obviously they had some success there with Jake Browning but um yeah and, and then kind of pivot to another tangent I know having girls go Stewart back in there was a big boost for their run game however they were able to offset some of that Jim with the screen passes and were you a bit surprised to see you know 
I guess they sort of figured it out in the second half, but even then, like, were you surprised to see just how much success they had? I believe it was like, I know three distinct screen passes, two to Chase Brown, obviously the one for a huge touchdown, and then one to Joe Mixon. I believe it was like three screen passes to those, you know, those two guys for like a buck 24 on those three plays alone. So, yeah, that's that's almost like half of Jake Browning's passing yards, too. I mean, his air yards per attempt weren't even that high. I mean, until maybe later in the game. But for a while there, I'm like, he's throwing it two yards to get 20. That's when I see that when I see stuff like that, um, that's when I think like the Bengals coaching won, right? Like they they just they just outcoached the, the Colts on that one. And they must have seen something in the in the Colts. I mean, it's, it's also possible the Colts just misplayed it, the defenders. But when you have three screens like that, that kind of went that way. It feels like they found something in the Colts. You know, I again, I didn't. I, I haven't watched found. the play specifically, but what's that? It's that, and this is for me looking at the tape myself. And you know, hey, if anybody's a film connoisseur out there, feel free to correct me because I will never pretend to be, you know, a coach. But it looked like they were so scared to um, their their safeties and their cornerbacks. They were trying to make sure they didn't get beat by Jamar Chase and T Higgins. So they were so far back that when you do drop back to pass and you throw it underneath. The you know rallying crew. If you if you, like if, you, if that first wave misses, the second wave is so far down the field that they can't really affect the play. If that makes sense, so they were so backed up. They 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 basically knew if we take T Higgins and we take Jamar Chase and run these guys down the field, they have to respect them because they know their DBs are you know pretty much young and inexperienced outside of Kenny Moore. So unless they want to you know take that challenge of going one on one or something like that or or leaving you know, Jamar Chase on a guy like Jalen Jones with no help, well, you know, pick your poison. So we're going to, like, go underneath with the screen pass, and while you're, you're dealing with these guys down the field, we're going to pick up all these yards, you know, on the back end. So that's what it felt like to me was their biggest maybe coaching uh, chess move. And um, obviously they, they didn't really respond to it that well because of the success they had. I will say, I know there's some debate about the Kenny Moore play where he got – it looked to me like he got blocked in the back by Ted Karras. Um, and there's some subjectiveness there with the rules. This was not a Kadarius Tony situation where you can clearly see that it's a penalty. But you know, I guess if we if you're within the the line of scrimmage, you can block that way. So it's a subjective rule. But I thought it was pretty obvious two hands to the back. Maybe it is a block in the back. But regardless, um, again, just that to me kind of supplemented their run game a bit and allowed them to stay sort of balanced on offense to the point where. Again, the Colts were just trailing, and they never really could find their footing. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, I when I see things like that, I think it's just a coaching. And again, the Bengals have some of the best coaching in in the NFL. I mean, Zach oh, Taylor yeah. does a heck oh, of. Yeah. They're they're a team that does. I mean, if you go back and look at some of the things they've had to do to adjust throughout um, their run, you know, and, and being AFC contenders, going from you know heavy under center to almost all shotgun in order to. Um, to kind of help Joe Burrow and help the run game with Joe Mixon. And then going back under center and doing a lot of play action passing with Jake Browning, pushing a lot of like the play action passes and screens and a lot of the run game they were relying on, a lot of pushing the easy buttons so that Jake Browning doesn't have to get, you know, do too much to try to win. So they did enough um, smart things to keep the Colts off balance and and, and to, to win the game. So again, you got to give credit to the to, to when, you, when you get beat in some ways, you got to give them credit. But also, again, I don't want to like get away from our original point. The Colts also shot themselves in the foot a lot of the time, too. So credit to the Bengals. But I, I still think the Colts are capable of beating a team like the Bengals if they play their game. Um, I wanted to get back to what you said earlier about Syke and not having answers. 
I think he's probably privately hoping it's just a blip on the radar and he's just, you know, he doesn't, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, patterned about it. He can just move on. doesn't happen. And I think to be fair to him, the Colts really haven't looked like this. Like we, we started the podcast by saying this is uncharacteristic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think in his mind, it's, you know, I don't think, I don't know if it's a burn the tape type of game, but like, you know, you just got to put it out of your mind. I mean, when you're having Matt game as field goals, you're having, you know, Quentin Nelson with all, you know, phantom or holding calls or whatever. Like it's just, maybe you just kind of put it out of your mind, move on to the next one and you, you forget it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. If that's the, what, the way you would address it, but that's kind of what I was thinking. That was what Samson Ebukam basically told me. Um, didn't use it in my story, but I did talk to him. He was very frustrated and he was like, you just flush it. And I do think that there is a game every season. Even if you're a really good team, there's usually a game every year for every team where you're just like, it just wasn't our day. And I think why I'm leaning more towards that direction, not not saying that the Colts are so talented that like they went out or whatever, but I don't think they'll be this sloppy again because one, Shane Steichen, his accountability, that's all you ever hear about this guy. I can imagine that the film review sessions, all of that was top tier this week. Not that it wouldn't be any different, but I, I can't see him letting any of this slide. Like, of course, he won't harp on it too long. They can't because they have a you know Saturday game. But there's no way he's going to just be like, oh, you know what? We're not going to go over any of this. Go over it and then flush it. And then uh, Samson was basically saying, like, you know, this was a, a sort of a one-off for them. Um, and again, this is a guy who doesn't have very many words to say hardly ever and did not look like he wants to talk to me at all. But <laughs> I appreciate him, you know, taking the time to at least express some of that frustration. And he was just saying, like, you know, obviously you saw what happened. We were outplayed. We were, we were, um, you know, not disciplined and we lost the game. And so um, they have a chance to obviously rebound this upcoming Saturday. Again, that's Saturday. The game got flexed to a Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, they have a chance to face another team that isn't all that great. Like it's fighting and will fight because they're a Mike Tomlin team. That's what they do. He hasn't had a losing record since he's been the head coach there and what feels like an eternity. Um, and so, this is an opportunity from the rebound and kind of prove that all of those uh, weird penalties and things are out of their system. I mean, even Matt Gay, I had to look it up during the game um, or after the game, actually, but he had missed a kick that was closer than 40 yards in over three years. I believe the last time he missed one was like December 6, 2020. That was within 40 yards. So the guy is really good. So when he's missing a field goal and then missing an extra point, you're it's like maybe day. me, maybe this is like you know uh, I don't know the, the 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 football gods you know wearing Bengals jerseys and kind of like you know blowing his kicks to the left a little bit. It was just a weird game. He didn't make any excuses. Um, not that he would. He he owned all of it. He said he has to be better. I wrote about it a little bit yesterday. He's still, you know, even with those misses, I believe he's like number seven all time in you know uh, field goal percentage in NFL history, and he he's an elite player. So when he says I'm gonna bounce back, it's not a problem. I absolutely believe him. It's just that, you know, where as talented as he is at his position, the Colts are not like that at other positions. And so, so you do wonder, okay, how quickly can you correct this? Because your talent um, can't be sort of like this offsetting, uh, you know, effect on whatever else you don't do correctly. So, and then also he's a specialist. So I'm like, I kind of trust a specialist like him who's kind of, you know, had huge kicks. He kicked a field goal to go to the NFC championship you know, a few years ago when they knocked off the Bucks and Tom Brady and kind of slayed the Dragons. So this is a guy who obviously um, can make big kicks. But again, you look at the rest of this team, Gardner Minshew, the turnovers are obviously an issue. He's got 14 touchdowns this year. 
against 13, you know, turnovers, not ideal. So um, how do you, again, mitigate the other stuff because you know you just it's not going to be pretty or sexy but you got to find a way to give yourself a chance here because it is still a golden opportunity for them to get into the playoffs and sort of um i guess reestablish you know the, this culture underneath Shane Steichen yeah I, I i think that's a again it's gonna be a big interesting test to see what happens against the, a mike tomlin led steelers team um that is going to be looking to prove itself you know they look really frustrated they've lost to the two of the three worst teams in the NFL right now, um, outside of the Panthers, they lost to Carolina. I'm sorry. They lost to, uh, Arizona and they lost to new England. And so they're definitely looking to reestablish themselves. They also are still in the playoff picture. Um, but I do, I want to get into that a little bit before we kind of talk about some of the, some of the things that the Colts need to do to improve and to win that game is just to talk about the missed opportunity. Like, man, the NFL was a weird place this week. It's a weird place every week, frankly. I mean, all these things happen. I, I, I was doing the playoff, um, I added like the playoff picture story for the athletic. And I think it was like five of the seven teams in the AFC playoff picture this week lost. It was just, it was just a weird week and a great week though, to make up ground. If you're the Colts, like, if they had beaten the Bengals, James, we're talking about a tie atop the AFC South. Like they would be tied with the Jaguars who are definitely reeling right now. The defense isn't playing well. Trevor Lawrence threw three interceptions and is hurt. Why did he play? But continue. No, I agree. I mean, again, I, they probably should have just held them out and tried to try to win another way. But I, man, I just look at it and think, man, they they had a real good shot. If they had even themselves with the Jaguars, who definitely ha who have the um, you know, the tiebreaker, having beaten the Colts twice this year. But if they had gotten even, oh, you never know what could have happened. All of a sudden, Colts are maybe hosting a home playoff game if they can hold on to that. So it was, it's just a huge missed opportunity. So many others, like the Texans lost, right? So if they had. If they had won that game, they'd put a game of distance between them uh, themselves. Like, there's just so many other teams. Like, they could have, could have distanced themselves with the from the Bills and the Bengals and the Broncos and all these other teams. Instead, it's just a big mucky picture at seven and six, and they kind of have to sort this thing out. And it, it, you know, they don't have a lot of more games to throw away. There's only four more games left. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I I don't really have a question. It's just more of a man. You got to look back on that game. You're going to look back on that game in January, and especially if they don't make the playoffs and go, God, if we just not shot ourselves in the foot, we'd probably be in the playoffs right now. We might be, you know, we might've been in the division hunt. That's the scary part about dropping a game like that in that fashion. You know, if you lose a game and you're going back and forth and you're like, you know what? We just didn't have our, our way to get over the top this week, but we didn't like give it away. Cause that's what it kind of felt like in certain instances Then you live with it. But like you said, if you get to a situation where it's you were somewhere else, someone else and that one game costs you, um, that's tough. And it's again, you look at the the resume, not the resume, the uh, remaining schedule, I'm sorry, and you can see four wins. But knowing how weird the NFL is, there can also be four losses. So, like, you can't just go into these games. Um, not saying the Colts are have that mindset, but just, I guess, speaking to more of the fan base, I understand how excited you all are. And usually you all should be, but the NFL is a weird, finicky league, man. Like, it's, it's very hard to predict consistency especially when you don't have like that central Patrick Mahomes you know type of figure where obviously there's only one of him but you know usually if you have like a top premier quarterback then you kind of expect okay every year we're going to be in the hunt of this thing for the Colts obviously this year that's not the case with Gardner Minshew and obviously Anthony Richardson going down early but I think you have to capitalize and then just looking at this Steelers game going back to that 
You know, Kenny Pickett's out. It'll be Mitchell Trubisky, you know, under center, the former number two pick who, you know, is turned into a decent backup. He's not a bad player by any means as far as um, his role now, but he certainly isn't the, you know, franchise quarterback that the Bears drafted him to be a few years ago. So you have to take advantage of that. And then even T.J. Watt. I believe T.J. Watt is, is in concussion protocol this week, and he might not get cleared. So if he isn't available, again, these are all – you don't want people to be hurt, obviously, but just like teams aren't feeling sorry for you, losing your dynamic starting quarterback, you know, five weeks into the season, you can't feel bad for anybody else. You have to capitalize on whatever advantage you get. And it does seem like every week they sort of get some sort of a break. I mean, even looking at, you know, C.J. Stroud, he's in a concussion protocol. And so you wonder, okay, will he play this week? I know for Anthony Richardson, he missed at least one game with it. And when you are dealing with your franchise quarterback, not that you should treat him any differently, but we all know they get treated oh, yeah. differently. So yeah. I have to wonder, will, will he be available this upcoming week? So all these things, when you look at what the, the Colts are doing and what they have in front of them, you, like they keep selling. That's what you hear from every player. Zaire Franklin, DeForest Buckner, um, Shane Steichen said it himself. Everything we want to do is right in front of us. And so I would expect them to uh, figure it out. And um, I also expect them to at least be cleaner on special teams. I know that Brian Mason said it yesterday. He was like, we're like, you know, one of the least penalized teams in the NFL on special teams. And he, you could tell he was not pleased with their performance. Even beyond the penalty, they had that muffed punt where, you know, you know, originally I was like, oh, that's not on Isaiah McKenzie because Amir Speed ran into him. But – you know, Brian Mason was like, no, it's it's kind of on both of them. They all both had to have some spatial awareness. Then Isaiah has to be very vocal in saying, get away from it. So people know not to get, you know, in his way. So, I mean, you look at that play and all the other ones, you're like, okay, this there's no way. Like, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, there's no way that they would have nine penalties and some of these weird turnovers and all of the, you know, missed extra points all again in one single game. I mean, there's just, just, just no way. Even Matt Gay missing an extra point he's missed three including that one he's missed three extra points in the last four years so if you're asking me he's is he gonna do it again you know uh saturday in a dome no less no so um they'll have a chance they'll have a shot but again you cannot shoot yourself in the foot and i guess we can kind of pivot here jim what is the remedy to this run game when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wish I knew the answer to that. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I was, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna pivot to that too. Is if they can figure out the run game, they'll be back at it because they're putting too much pressure on Gardner Minshew right now. I mean, we, we you talked about it. They, they twenty straight points in the second half unanswered by the Bengals, and they had to throw forty times, so they couldn't really run. Not that they could run the ball anyway, uh, but they kind of had to abandon it in the fourth quarter because they were down by double digits and and kind of had to start throwing a lot. But I sent you stats. I'm proud because every once in a while, I don't, it's not often that I send. Uh, a beat writer or anybody stats and it catches them off catches them off guard and I was like <laughs> I think you yesterday were like oh man this is even worse than I thought yeah I mean it, yeah it was it was rough I mean you can uh, hit hit I'll on a few you, of them I'll, but, yeah. I'll tee you up yeah I was gonna say I mean they're they'll tee you up and then you tell me how to fix it because I don't know where they're gonna go with this but oh uh, yeah since week nine which is what I went back to so you know um 
from week nine to week 14, they have 24.2% of their plays, of their run plays, I should say, go for zero or negative yards. Only three teams are worse right now, and this is not a list you want to be on. The Cardinals, the Jets, and the Jaguars are the only three teams that are doing it at a worse rate. They are averaging only 3.3 yards per carry. That's 31st in the NFL. The league average right now is 4.3. They are last in yards per carry after contact at 2.5. Uh, the league average is 2.85. I don't know if that's an indictment to Zach Moss, and even you know Jonathan Taylor's in here too um, a little bit there, but it's just... Everywhere you go, there there's just not, and they're not. They, I mean, they're seeing some, you know, um, stack boxes. You know, they're like tenth in the league in seeing stack boxes right now. But I don't think that's what's been going on. Chase Lake has actually done a pretty good job of, of being able to manipulate defenses a little bit to alleviate the pressure in the box. Uh, they just they just quite simply haven't been able to run the ball. And I, I if I knew why, I'd be spouting it and I'd be telling you to write it, but I don't know why because I, I really don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's like we have a bunch of symptoms, but obviously one of the causes would be the absence of Jonathan Taylor, who is a special player, and the special ones can kind of offset some of your deficiencies. And obviously, if he was in there, I would expect him to be a little bit more productive than Zach Moss. Now, not to take away from Zach Moss, obviously, there's a huge feature on him, his story. He's playing great, he's having a career year, but we all know what JT brings to the table how special he is when he's at his peak. But here's my thing. If JT is not available for this week, again, what do you do? Because you have to find some kind of way to not put more on Gardner Minshew's plate because that's basically what it comes down to is when you can't run the ball, you're always facing second and long or something like that. You're putting it in your quarterback's hands, and I get it. You know, Shane Sykin's been fun to see some of the stuff he schemed up. The the, the real tragedy of Sunday's loss is that we didn't really get to have some fun with Zaire Franklin about being in there on his second offensive, you know, play and it, and it being a touchdown and then Mo Ali Cox. So I was asking Mo after the game, I'm on a tangent here. I'll just, just bear with me, but I was asking Mo, I was like, so, you know, is, is, are you and Z a package deal now? So we just expect a touchdown <laughs> or a first down, you know, whenever they're out there. And he was like, you know, we can't give away all our secrets, but you know, we might have to think up our sleeve. But again, how gimmicky, how you know tricky can you be when at the end of the day you just have to some sometimes do what pe- teams know you're you know you're trying to do and just do it better than what whatever they're trying to do to stop it. So um, you know, Shane did not sound the alarm like, oh, we need JT, which obviously no coach would do publicly, but he just said we have to win in the trenches. And um, I wonder if part of that is some of the lineup changes. And I know we praise his offensive line for what they've done this year, but Braden Smith, you know, missed another game. Uh, obviously, Ryan Kelly's missed time this year. Um, Br- Bernard Ryman had one of his uh, poorest games in a while, I felt like. Now, he's obviously facing a really good player, but he did not play up to the, the standard that we've, we've kind of known Bernie to be at, and I'm sure he'll bounce back from that. I wouldn't expect that to be a trend going forward. He's a really good left tackle. I actually think um, he's their left tackle of the future. But all of that considered, it's just one of those things where they have to figure out how to generate something. It doesn't have to be great. It just can't be that bad. Cause you're talking about, you know, during this, this stretch or whatever, but particularly in these last two games, I mean, Zach Moss is averaging like 2.3, 2.4 yards per carry in the last two games combined. So that isn't going to cut it. And, 
they don't have really another option outside of him. Now, I get it. They call other running backs up. Tyler Goodson, um, Trey Sermon was up for a while. But those guys are not, obviously, big parts of the game plan because they hardly get any playing time. And so um, they have to find a way to just keep the defense somewhat honest. I mean, in my opinion, hey, maybe 60 yards, however you get them, is, is better than whatever you had, you know, Sunday where I believe Zach Moss was 13 carries, 28 yards. And again, a lot of that was being down late, so you got to throw the ball. But um, just not a good day, not a good showing for them since JT's gone down. And again, we don't know exactly when he'll be back. I know I talked to Jim Irsay and he said two to three weeks, and I was like, eh, that sounds very optimistic because he's the ultimate optimist. But, you know, tomorrow, Wednesday, will be three weeks removed from the, the thumb surgery, and he's missed two games. Um, I'll talk to Shane Steichen later today and this week to see if we can get anything on the latest with JT. But, I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to play this week. And, and, and so uh, that you have to find a way to find a solution. And I guess that's my overarching uh, thing that I'm kind of not leaning towards, but kind of in the back of my mind, like how much can this team overcome and would a loss to JT when they were kind of rolling be sort of that, that, that nail in the coffin that, that maybe holds them back from really maximizing on this opportunity. Now I want to get, get ahead of myself because they have found ways to win and they should still find some way to win because they're not facing a lot of great teams as of late. Um, you know, side note for the listeners out there, maybe you know this from last year, but my dad's a huge Raiders fan. He lost the game three to yeah. zero. Three so to if, you, if you lose to the Raiders, if you're the Colts, you lose to the Raiders at home. Do you really deserve to get in the playoffs? Seriously. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, these yeah. are like, these are games that you should win. Now I get it. Pittsburgh's tough. You know, Atlanta, again, any given Sunday, you look at obviously the Texans, if CJ Stroud is healthy and ready to go, um, that, that should be a good game. But there's no way you should, regardless of who's in there. I get it. JT's a big loss, all those things. But you got to find some kind of way to, to, to get to stack some wins against a very soft schedule, a very favorable schedule that would allow you to have your first playoff appearance since 2020, which um, feels so weird because that had to be what, like 12 quarterbacks and in, in, in many, many moons ago, it feels <laughs> like. So, um, yeah. I uh, Let me throw one at you. I, I, I Again, I, I don't have a way of proving this hypothesis i wouldn't even be as bold as to call it a hypothesis but just pulled up zach moss's numbers and i'm looking at his 173 attempts this year and realizing that's a lot of attempts and a lot more than he's had in the past uh he had a 93 total last year he had 96 total the year before that he had 112 in his rookie year with the bills his most touches in terms you know touches including carries and receptions he's almost at 200 he's at 197 he hasn't done that since college um, I don't know. I'm not saying he's getting worn down, but it's possible no. right, that he has. So I'm glad you said this because I brought this up to Shane Steichen when JT went down. I was like, how important is it to, to sort of still find some balance in the backfield? And he more or less kind of dismissed it. And like, we love what he did. And I'm like, yeah, but what he did early in the season was like Herculean. He took every single snap was always out there. And Again, that's a great, valiant effort, but it's not sustainable. That's why you don't see running backs do that anymore. One, because it leads to injury, but two, you can get worn down. Now, obviously, a player would never admit that, and maybe it's not you know that. Maybe it's the offensive line, whatever it is, but there is just common sense would tell you there is some truth to just so many carries always being the workhorse 
and, and, and maybe not being in that role previously. Now I get it. He did say he was the workhorse. He took every single snap at Utah in college. They're all-time leading rusher. Yeah. I get that. But this ain't Utah. You know what I'm saying? This is the NFL, and the guys are bigger, faster, stronger. And I would imagine the wear and tear in your body is a lot more when you're playing, you know, the best of the best every week. So um, that could be part of it. We'll see. But, again, I, I, I'm very curious to see just what is the status of JT and is there any possibility. And even then, just being realistic again, whatever week he comes back, there's going to be some limitations, right? Like I wouldn't expect them to just run him back out there and it's like, all right, you're taking 25 carries again. Like, I, I don't know how, how smart that would be considering he hasn't played, you know, in a couple weeks and then obviously the thumb. So um, just not an ideal situation for them and the running back spot particularly. But um, I guess if you're looking for some bright spots with this team, MPJ, Michael Pittman yeah. Jr. And you're in I my mean, mind. He's, uh, he's, he's balling out, Jim. He looks like a wide receiver one. Because to me, when you have a quiet – eight catches for 95 yards and I'm like wait a second how many <laughs> yeah. yards that is like wide receiver one stuff so what are your thoughts on him continuing to produce uh, I know we talked about you know some of the limitations he's had given throughout his career with the quarterback changes and things like that but um this year in particular it does feel like he's taking his game to, to another level my thoughts are the Colts are gonna have to pay him quite a bit of money quite <laughs> a bit of money yeah, I, I think he's just uh, – I think he's proof. I know you, you've talked to him about this. He doesn't like talking about wide receiver one stuff. But he hates it, but – Listen, he's 13th in receiving yards right now uh, at 984. He is third, I believe, in reception – or I'm sorry, fourth in receptions fourth, at, yep. at 95 uh, catches this year and has an outside chance at, uh, at maybe getting the catch title. Uh, Keenan Allen's at 108, but just lost Justin Herbert, so that could be a problem. Tyreek Hill is hurt, as we all saw last night, and CeeDee Lamb's only one ahead of him. So there's an outside shot that Michael Pittman enters his the final year of his rookie, or finishes the final year of his rookie deal uh, as the catch leader in the NFL. So yes, the Colts are going to have to pay him quite a bit of money. I don't expect, I truly do not expect him to hit the open market. I think there's a lot of fan bases out there uh, really, really, really hoping he does. And for obvious yeah. reasons, the yeah. guy is a fantastic uh, player all around too. I, again, I've raved about him before. I love the way he blocks. I love his mentality on the field. I love the example Dog. he sets for, love the example he sets for the younger receivers and being involved in the run game and being involved in everything and, and being competitive. I, I, I'm a big Michael Pittman fan in terms of the player that he is. Um, But I think the Colts are too. I think at they'll work hard, I guess, to get an extension done with him before the franchise tag deadline. And then if they don't get an extension done with him, that they will use the franchise tag on him. I think this is actually one of those like ancillary benefits. We didn't really talk about when they um, extended Jonathan Taylor. Now they don't have to worry about tagging him again. If that's, that doesn't be, that's not part of the equation anymore. Taylor is locked up. Like they don't have to, they don't have to mess around with, hey, we don't really want to pay him, but we do want him back, so maybe we'll just tag him. And if they tagged him, that put them in a real tough spot with Michael Pittman. Now, Taylor's taken care of. They can just tag Michael Pittman and then continue to work on a long-term deal, if that's what it comes to. But I don't think it's going to have to, frankly. Like, I honestly, I think the market is the market. He's going to ask for what he wants. It's going to be more than $20 million a year. It's going to be, I don't know, $22, 23000000 million a year. People are going to maybe, you know, snicker at that. But, like, again, if you're... He's going to be a 100-catch, 1,000-yard receiver. And like you said, when you just ignore, like you just ignore and you didn't even realize he went, you know, 8 for 95, and the guy can just get open against just about anybody and 
is a very, very complete receiver. I don't think there's anything he does like exceptionally well. I just think he does everything really well. Like there's just no part of his game that's weak. Yeah, I do think that the one thing I guess probably the best part about his game, in my opinion, is the contested catches. He does like they throw it. I mean, he's never really open. And he's 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 been you know running a lot of crossing underneath routes this year where he's in traffic and he'll just snag it. Most of the time, if he gets two hands on it, it's his. And so um the funny thing about Pittman and contract negotiations, and this is just me pretending to be him, you know, in my you know, star wide receiver alternate universe. My goal will be to get a contract so big that people say it's bad. Yeah, exactly. The the Christian Kirk. <laughs> The moment you sign and someone's like, that's way too much. You did it right. You know what I mean? Like I'm starting off negotiations 27 minimally. Like You might have to lower from there, but there's no way in the world I'm coming in less than that, quite honestly, because I do think that it's supply and demand a bit too. You know, okay. How much do you, do you value me in relation to Anthony Richardson? Show me how much do you value me in relation to what you want to build with this team? And, And again, you look at what this team has done without some of their main pieces this season, you start to wonder, could they really get it right next year? Could could they be a team that, you know, contends for the AFC South title and, you know, home playoff game, all those things with him in the picture? And so, um, I, you know, I, I look at him like he's a guy who, again, wants to win. I don't want to discredit that at all. Like Pittman wants to win. However... Um, you know, winning and a bag of money also sounds very nice as well. So, um, you know, just get the Brinks truck ready for him because he is one of the better players in the league. Um, is he elite? Is he Justin Jefferson? Is he Tyreek Hill? Is he Stefan Diggs? Maybe not, but he is a darn good player and he would certainly help this team um, with the return of Anthony Richardson come next season. I was going to say, it doesn't matter. I mean, okay, so contracts oh, are all about comps. Yeah, it contracts matter. are all about comps. And I'm looking at Terry McLaurin right now who is averaging $23.2 million per year. And that was coming off of, I believe, his third season where he went 77 for 1,000 yards and five touchdowns. Pittman's going to blow away those numbers. I mean, they're gonna be, he's going to be significantly better than that. His agent's going to say, look, look what Terry McLaurin got. Look at the salary cap going up. Yeah, I, he's going to get $23.2 million is the AAV for Terry McLaurin, $23.8 million for Debo Samuel, $24 million for DK Metcalf. He's going to be right around that because he knows and his agent knows that if he hits the market, that's what he's going to get. Like, that's just, that's what he's going to get. Back up the Brinks truck. Just get ready again. If there's so it's okay. Some- it's okay to pay your, again, it's okay to overpay your guys, especially the guys you drafted and developed to, to Absolutely. Uh, a little bit more. It, it, it looks good. Everybody's happy about that. Him will be happy. His teammates will be happy for him. People will understand that you get rewarded for performing well and staying with your team. It's the it's the reputation the Colts want to have. It's the one we talked about a lot during the Jonathan Taylor negotiations of like, wait, well, hey, they pay all their they tend to pay their guys. Well, what's going on here? And then they paid their guy. So and then you get the rewarded with him, you know, showing up for all the offseason stuff as well. Because I have a feeling that, and this is not reporting anything; it's just common sense. If they franchise tag me, if I'm Pittman, I'm not showing up to anything I don't have to. I'll see I'll see you when I'm forced to. There's no way I would like willingly or not make some sort of public, you know, alert that I'm not pleased with this. And so, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's some games to play left. But just keep in mind that this is a guy who his stock was already pretty high coming into the season, but it gets higher each week with the way he's performed. And it's almost at this point where it's like. Even if he just had like 
four bad games in a row. Like it would, it wouldn't offset what he's done this season so far. It's pretty much set in stone. And so um, I'm definitely excited for him in his future. And hopefully again, just go ahead and get it figured out. You know, I had the whole JT standoff last summer. Don't need a repeat of that this summer. Pittman, if you're listening, <laughs> because your boy was tired of reading the CBA and all the different <laughs> rules. I like to read contracts and, and incentives and bonuses and things like that and think about what I would do with that kind of money. So, um, yeah, but again, just to kind of, uh, I guess, finish on a more positive note, um, a, a bit of Colts slash Eagles news, and I know you're probably scratching your head if you're listening, if you're not on Twitter, but Shaq Leonard, man, um, he was active for the Eagles game, did not play, I believe, but beyond that, he is going to be a father for the third time and he's welcoming a little boy based off of the Jersey that him and his wife held up in the Instagram photo that I saw. So he's going to have his first son. He's got two daughters. And uh, I would assume based off the Jersey, it says Leonard jr. You can expect the name to be Darius Shaquille Leonard jr. So despite all the things that have happened this year with Shaq Leonard, the injuries um, being waived, finding a new team, all of those things, um, uh, I have to imagine this has to be sort of just and, and one thing I'll, I'll say about Shaq is he's always been good at removing himself from the family aspect of everything. So while he is very passionate and sometimes combative to even me or media in the locker room, anytime I've ever seen him outside of that with his family, he is the best dad one of the best dads you'll ever see. And so I have to imagine he is over the moon right now, regardless of all the things that have happened on the field, about welcoming his third child and first little boy, first little maniac, I guess. So uh, congrats to him. Yeah, I agree. I share the, him, uh, the congratulations with you. It's, it's awesome. I, and the guy has secured generational wealth for his family, um, and now his family's growing. Uh, he has a ton to be proud of. I mean, obviously... Just I, I he overcame a lot to get where he is, and he's overcoming a lot now in terms of his professional career and, and some of the things that he's dealing with um, professionally. But as a as a family man, it's, it's awesome. I mean, again, I have I have two kids. Expanding your family is is an amazing feeling. It's an amazing thing, and and for him to be able to to know, yeah, then again, he's he has secured their futures. Um, is is, a, is an awesome thing to be able to say as a parent. So um, not that I would know. I would say I haven't made quite as much money as Shaq Leonard has <laughs> over his career. Um, but I would imagine it's an awesome feeling. So yes, congratulations to Shaq Leonard. I'm happy that you wanted to. I, again, we kind of go through our our programming meeting here, I guess, ahead of the podcast as we go through our notes. And I'm glad you brought it up because it was not one I had on mine. But I am very, very happy for him and and you know for his family. It's it's like I said, it's an awesome thing, and it is nice to kind of you know zoom out and re again remember these are people and they're good people. A lot of them are good people, and and they just they're trying to do their best in the world here, just like the rest of us. Yeah, I've had conversations with Pittman about fatherhood, Zach yeah. Moss, who welcomed his first child earlier this year. And when you do sort of peel back that layer, you remember like, okay, I get it. You know, my job is to basically critique your play in and out. But the one thing I can say from the the, the people that I've seen in the Colts facility be fathers is that I can't really critique, um, you know, how they are uh kind of pouring into the lives around them so it is cool to see again Shaq Leonard because I've seen him at a fever game actually with his daughters and fun fact I was going through his wife's Instagram because I was trying to make sure like, okay this is his third kid I was kind of doing some counting and um I didn't know this but I took some photos of him way back at like a Indiana fever game with him and his daughter I took one with like the older daughter one with the, like the younger daughter and just put him on Twitter because like, oh look who's here at you know at the fever game and she ended up using those in her post and I was like oh like 
there, there we go. Like, I love when, you know, some roundabout way they like see the photos that I take. Cause I don't always tag the people. I feel like that's kind of like, you know, Hey, look at me. But I, I did think that those were some cool photos and just, uh, sure. Yeah. Again, you kind of it kind of captures sort of a visual representation of what they always talk about. And Shaq, we've talked about this um, multiple times. Me and him, uh, when he was really going through his stuff last year, I asked him, "I was like, man, what what is it like when you go home?" And he's like, "When I go home and my daughter scream my name and they're asking daddy how you know how everything was and they tell me how their day was, he was like, the the weight of everything else kind of washes away. And so uh, there's a lot of joy in that. I'm excited for him. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what it, the future holds for him and his team as well. But for now, I guess here here with the Colts, they're like, you know, uh, they're focused on their 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 little, I guess, uh, other another birth, which would be a playoff birth. And so, um, <laughs> nice. you get there. You see that pivot there? <laughs> what a segue! Oh my god, it's like you're a professional at this. <laughs> I'm That's so all impressed. I got for you, Al. But yeah, I was I'm gonna just, say I'm I, I should I should have just we should have just signed off. I, I was a huge <laughs> mistake to continue talking. No, I. Well, well done. Playoff birth, childbirth. That's 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 fantastic work. You really should. You could just you should just take the day off. You've you've really you've done everything you're gonna do today. You've accomplished. <laughs> you to go go to bed. It's all good. <laughs> all right. In all seriousness, thanks guys for uh, for listening to the Upper Quartile Podcast. We'll be back. Lots to talk about. Obviously, this AFC playoff picture. Even if they lose this week, is gonna be muddy. So they'll, they'll be in it. It looks like to the end, it'll be fun to talk about. We'll talk about it next week. Thanks for joining us.